The MMA on the Rocks podcast is intended for adult audiences and does contain some explicit content. So if you are not an adult, please make sure your parents do not know you are listening to this and do not repeat anything you hear on this show in front of them. Also a reminder that even if you fight recklessly, please remember to drink responsibly. Now that we have that out of the way, let's get to the show. Welcome to MMA on the Rocks. My name is Bill Welker. You are listening to episode 141 of the podcast where you're joining us live here on YouTube. Today is Sunday, May 19th, and we are coming off of some MMA action in Rochester, New York, headlined by former lightweights and current welterweights, Rafael Dos Anjos and Kevin Lee. Before we get into that, let me introduce my co-host all the way from sunny New Jersey, Jeff, the animal Wilson. Jeff, how are you feeling on this early Sunday afternoon, my friend? I'm feeling good, Bill. It's been a really cold week in Jersey, but the weekend has been really nice. It's been really warm. Um, I've been catching up with some friends I haven't seen all week. Bill, what did you get into this weekend? Um, actually, I went to the beach yesterday. Um, my Muay Thai instructor decided to do a class on the beach uh on saturday afternoon so that was actually kind of fun i went you know wife and the baby and set up a little tent on the beach and did some muay thai in the sun got a sweat going cooled off it you know in the in the gulf and um it was a good time uh you know just light work hit some pads did some did some technique drills and stuff and um you, you know called it a day got a little a little sunburn, like I missed one spot on my arm that got all burnt up. <laughs> and then, um, actually, Friday I went to go see John Wick. Um, I, I went to a matinee. You know, took took off early from work. We had the, you know, the baby was with the nanny, so we 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 snuck off to go see uh, John Wick Three, which was actually really good. Uh, I'm a big fan of those John Wick movies because the the, uh, the choreography on the fight scenes is so legit. Like obviously you can't beat up 45 people at once, but um, you know the actual moves he uses are you know pretty legit. Like he studied like judo and jujitsu, and and uh, I, I'm a fan. I I don't know too much about the storyline, but the action scenes are are pretty awesome. Uh, what do you what are you getting getting into this weekend, Jeff? Um, well, Bill, uh, caught up with some friends last night that I hadn't seen in a while. Uh, it was my first night out of the house in a while, so it was nice. Uh, work was pretty busy, but Bill, have a, a beer that I tried last night. You know, I like local breweries. Mm -hmm. So um, I asked the waiter what was on tap, and um, he said Brooklyn Defender. So, Bill, you know, I'm a fan of Brooklyn Brewery. It's yeah. Local, so I had to try it, and Bill, I love it. It had citrus in it, which you know I love beers with citrus in them. I feel like it offsets the bitterness of the hops. So mm -hmm. you got a nice little hit of um, citrus on the back end. It was really nice. Uh, a lighter beer. Um, but, yeah, overall it was just well-balanced. Um, I only had one because I had to drive, but really good beer, Bill. If you can find some Brooklyn Defender out there, definitely give it a shot. Very responsible of you, Jeff. Um, is it an IPA or like what? Yes. Okay, yeah, it's so right it's like a like a hazy IPA. What was yep. the color like on it? Yeah, it was uh, it was it had 
a nice lighter color, blondish, I would say. Um, mm. So yeah, definitely more of a hazy IPA. Awesome. Yeah, I'm big into the hazy IPAs lately because now you go back to the regular IPAs and they start to taste a little bitter. Yeah. Like the, the bitterness of the hops really stands out. So the, the hazies are nice because they're they're nice and smooth, but you still get the, the punch of the IPA. Mm -hmm. um, I, I got an interesting one for you, Jeff. I was drinking a, a funky Buddha last night. So they're, they're a Florida brewery. Um, I was talking about them a couple of weeks ago because uh, they had a they have like a tap takeover station at the Panthers arena where I went to the UFC in Fort Lauderdale. So I picked up a four pack of this, they call it mixology series. So they make beers that taste like cocktails, which would normally not be something I'm into. And this one was, uh, a double rye Manhattan. I'm a big fan of Manhattans, Jeff. Uh, that that's my go-to cocktail. If I go to like a steakhouse or something. So I was a little skeptical, but you know, um, funky Buddha hadn't let me down lately. So I was like, let me try this out. And the other thing about these beers, Jeff, 12.7%. So one and a half of these, and you're, you're pretty toasty for the night. Um, so it's nice actually, because what they do is they take, um, like a one style of beer and they age it in, um, rye whiskey barrels. And then they take another beer and they age it in, um, red wine barrels so you know to make a manhattan you got to mix uh, rye whiskey and some sweet vermouth so because they age the beers that way and then they add some like um some spices and stuff like that it actually tastes pretty like if you told me you know a beer that tastes like a manhattan uh they nailed it um which you know is interesting it's not something i would drink all the time but you know, I've, I've had this four pack for like a week and a half now, and I'll, I'll have one here and there, you know, because they're so strong too. Um, I, I won't have more than one of them. Um, it, it's a, it's a nice drink. I'd be curious to see like what other cocktails they did. Um, I, I'm not, I'm not big on cocktails, but I do enjoy Manhattan. So that was a really, really interesting drink. I was drinking those during fights last night, which I know you didn't get to watch live Jeff, but I know you caught up this morning so let's just get into it let's start from the top we have two lightweights who made their way to welterweight because you know you get a little bit older the, the weight cut gets a little bit harder um you know for rda he was uh you know he lost his title to eddie alvarez and then you know the weight cut just wasn't worth it he moved up he would you know a lot of people thought he'd be too small for welterweight but he's had a pretty good run uh, and kevin lee wanted to follow in his footsteps and he wanted to do that by challenging him as his first fight at welterweight and uh it didn't work out for him and here's the thing with kevin lee and i hate i hate to say this about a fighter because i totally respect everybody who sets foot in the cage but kevin lee is one of the best fighters in the world until things don't go his way and that seems to be his biggest downfall when he is com being completely dominant um he, you know he's he seems indestructible, but then once things start to go a little bit awry, uh, you know, we saw that in the ally Quinta fight. We saw it in the Tony Ferguson fight. Once things start to slip away from him, it seems like he quits in there. And that, that seems to be what happened last night. I mean, the blueprint to beat RDA is out there. We've seen it from Colby Covington. We've seen it from Tony Ferguson. Uh, we've seen it from Khabib. We've seen it from Kamaru Usman, the current welterweight champion. The, the recipe to beat, 
RDA is you either have to knock him out early or you have to dominate him for 25 minutes. And you cannot stop because he will not stop. And the second you give him a moment to breathe or the second you slip up, he's going to capitalize on it. And that's exactly what he did to Kevin Lee last night. Kevin Lee shot him for a sloppy takedown. He didn't get it. RDA sprawled on him, and Kevin Lee stalled a little bit too long. You know, he didn't try and sit through and get back to his feet. Um, it, you know, he just stayed there, and RDA was like, all right, time to turn it up. And, um, you know, he put it on Kevin Lee, and he locked up that nasty arm triangle, which Kevin Lee basically gave him his arm to do that. Um, you, you know, not the greatest mount escape to, to reach across your body uh, with your arm because that's what's going to happen. And then uh, he did some kind of weird defense where he's pulling on his arm and the triangle wasn't even locked up uh, under his chin completely. I mean, he was across the chin a little bit, um, you know, with a squeeze like RDA has, it's still possible to finish that. Um, and, and another detail I like is he, he had his knee slid under Kevin Lee's back, um, which I thought was a pretty cool little detail. So a lot of information there, Jeff. I, I know I went off on a little bit of a tangent, but I, I've been thinking about this fight a lot since it happened. And um, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts about it. So uh, what do you think about this main event here? Bill, I think that Kevin Lee has a really serious cardio problem. I think that after the first round, it was all RDA. I mean, Kevin Lee, yeah, he, he had RDA pushed up against the cage, but he wasn't doing anything. Um, mm -hmm. RDA showed some really good takedown defense using that um, that Kimura um, trap to pull Kevin Lee up and, and just not allowing Kevin Lee to, to dominate him like we've seen Colby Covington and mm -hmm. Kyle Usman do. And, dude, Kevin Lee was taking some deep breaths after that first round, man. Um, he just, he didn't have that same fire in rounds two, three, and four. And honestly, Bill, I think that, um, Dos Anjos probably didn't even need to get under Kevin Lee's chin. Kevin Lee looks so exhausted. Mm -hmm. He, he almost gave him that arm triangle. And, um, you know, even after he sat up, after he tapped it, it was, he just looked like he, he was gone probably three rounds ago. Um, mm -hmm. you know, he looked great in the first round. Uh, was in Dosanjo's face, was keep him on, keeping him pressed up against the cage, making him carry his weight, you know, took him down one or two times. But um, Javel Dosanjo's is no slouch in the grappling department either. He was doing a really good job of just making Kevin Lee work for it, not being held down. Um, but yeah, dude, like I said, I think the biggest factor in this fight was Kevin Lee's cardio or lack thereof, man. After that mm -hmm. first round, he was taking real dip breaths. I think he was out of it after that first round. Yeah, and it, it's unfortunate for Kevin Lee. I think probably the worst thing to happen to him was um, getting so much attention before the Michael Chiesa fight and then um, and then beating Michael Chiesa there because after that, I think it was too much too soon because if he had realized the cardio issues um, in some lower-profile fights and you know, still was able to, to win those fights because they were against lesser competition. Uh, I think we would have seen him grow a lot more. Um, it, Kevin Lee is in a tough spot here, man, because, you know, he moves up because he, the cut to 155 is too much for him. He's been campaigning for the 165 pound division, but that's not working out. So he has to go to 170. And, um, you know, I'm used to Kevin Lee looking huge in there. And uh, he was in there with RDA and, they looked about the same size. RDA is on the smaller side 
for welterweights for sure. You know, he's been holding his own in there. Um, but definitely smaller. He got out wrestled by RDA as the fight went on and they were asking RDA about it. Um, after the fight and he was like, yeah, well, you know, the last 18 months of my career, I've been working a lot of wrestling cause I fought Colby Covington and Kamaru Usman. Um, so that says two things like one, what a fucking phenomenal athlete RDA is because nobody should be able to get that good at wrestling in 18 months. Um, you know, he's always had decent takedowns, but he, you know, Kevin Lee has a wrestling background. RDA does not. And RDA was out wrestling him. And two, it says that, um, you know, Kevin Lee may be a little bit undersized for that welterweight division. Uh, you know, if he, if he can't take RDA down, how's he going to take down these guys like Colby Covington who are actual collegiate wrestlers? and have like the wrestling credentials. And uh, I like that you brought up the, uh, the Kimura trap that that RDA was using to defend those takedowns or, um, a double wrist lock. You could call it if you're into catch wrestling, you know, people debate whether it's called a Kimura trap or a double wrist lock, but uh, either way he was locking up the wrist. And, and the reason it was working is because he was putting pressure on Kevin Lee's head as well, which yeah. is what, um, and he was also heavy on his feet, which, um, was not what Rose Namajunas was doing last weekend, which is why it ended the way it did for her. Uh, and Kevin Lee wasn't going to be able to get that high crotch lift on RDA the way that uh, Jessica Andrade did to Rose Namajunas. But um, overall, I thought it was a great performance by RDA. Um, you know, my uh, my my uncle has recently gotten really into MMA, and he was texting me last night. He asked me what I thought about this fight, and I, I said exactly what I said at the beginning of this show. I said... Uh, you know, Kevin Lee's got to finish him early or he's got to dominate him the whole fight or he's going to lose. Um, and, and that's, that's the way it went down. Um, cause RDA will not stop. You got to put him out cold or you got to hold him down for 25 minutes. And if you hold him down for 17 minutes, um, you, you know, he's going to be right back in your face. And, uh, that's what he did. I, I thought it was really impressive performance by RDA. You know, still young enough to make a run at it. Um, you know, 34 years old. Um, and, and, and I don't know what to say about Kevin Lee, man. I, I, I mean, the cardio issues, and he moved up 15 pounds. So imagine if he cuts back down to 155 again. Um, I, I would really like to see them make that 165 pound division, but I don't know if that's the answer for him either. It seems to be uh, a little bit psychological. Like at, at some point, when he gasses out, he seems to quit instead of trying to, um, you know, get his bearings and stall a little bit and get some energy back in him. Um, and I hate to say that about a fighter because, uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for Kevin Lee. I, I think he's super skilled. Like I said, I think he's one of the best fighters in the world when things are going his way. He just needs to figure out a way to make things go his way a little bit more often. Any other thoughts on this main event, Jeff? No, I think we can move on, Bill. Cool. All right, so we got um, co-main event here was uh, Ian Heinish and Antonio Carlos Jr. Shoe face. Um, this one, um, you know, could have been totally different decision uh, based on a couple of minutes because Antonio Carlos Jr. dominated the first round. He was winning the beginning of the second round, and then I lost track of when the tide shifted exactly. So by the end of the fight, I was like, damn, did Heinish win that second round? Um, because it was kind of close, right? It was about halfway through the round where Carlos Jr. kind of just gassed. Uh, you know, he, he was trying so hard 
to finish Ian Heinish with that rear naked choke that he's so famous for. And then at some point he just totally lost all energy. And then Ian Heinish turned it up and, and he used that good old fashioned American wrestling to, um, you know, beat down Carlos jr for the remainder of that second round and the third round. Uh, when the decision came, it seemed pretty clear that Heinish should have won, but you know, if the judges had already given Carlos jr that second round, uh, there's not much you could do about it at that point. Um, so I couldn't really remember when that tide shift happened, but I remember thinking Heinish should win this, but I could see it going for Carlos jr. Um, because I, I don't know if he did enough to win that second round. What were your thoughts on this one, Jeff? Bill, I was actually in the same boat with that second round. It, I, I couldn't tell when it happened, but I felt like Hanish had definitely turned it around somewhere mm -hmm. in the middle. Um, maybe, maybe with like two minutes left. I, I honestly couldn't tell you, but, um, Bill, something I was not happy with, <clears throat> excuse me, was, um, the fence grabbing, dude. I think that Ian Hanish should have had a point deducted. Um, I felt like he stopped a couple of Carlos Jr.'s takedowns. How much of a difference that would have made in the fight, I don't know. But I felt like somewhere in that first or second round, uh, the ref had told him a few times not to grab the fence, and he kept doing it. Um, and the ref just kind of stopped talking to him about it. Mm -hmm. So I was very, very displeased with that. But other than that, I think that, you know, that aside, I, I felt like Ian Hainish won. But at the same time, I don't know how much of a difference the fence grabbing would have made if Carlos Jr. ended up just gassing out. But I mm. felt like Carlos Jr. got a little bit slighted here. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, I, I, I didn't really consider the uh, the fence grabbing. That's a good point. Um, and then Ian Heinish, uh, you know, calling out Derek Brunson and uh, <laughs> who is uh, Jack Hermanson, um, you know, slow down a little bit. <laughs> I mean... I, I think, um, you, you know, it was a good win over a, a really tough guy in Antonio Carlos Jr. Not a lot of people are able to, to uh, escape his his back takes. I mean, that's what he does. That's how he became a world champion in jiu-jitsu. Um, I would think maybe uh, like Elias Theodoru and Ian Heinish would be an interesting fight. Um, but, yeah, it, it was it – was, it was okay. Um, now, now I'm thinking about it. I guess the fight wasn't as interesting as I initially was replaying it in my head. And you brought up the fence grabbing thing. And I'm like, eh. Anyway, somebody who looked fantastic last night was Felicia Spencer. And not a lot of people were giving her a chance against Megan Anderson. So Megan Anderson was the 145 pound champion in Invicta. And then she left to come to the UFC basically to challenge Cyborg. Uh, because there was nobody else to fight Cyborg. And then that kind of fell through, and she wound up fighting Holly Holm, and her ground game got exposed. While all that was going on, Felicia Spencer was making a run in Invicta, and she wound up becoming the 145-pound champion there. So she gets brought in to basically a very empty division uh, in the UFC. Not a lot of people giving her a chance at, you know, five foot six, uh, going against the uh, six-foot-tall, Megan Anderson, who, you know, they announced her as six foot tall, but she looked like much taller than the cage, which is six feet. You know, she's a tall drink of water. Um, and uh, Felicia Spencer is showing that she belongs, uh, you know, at the highest level. And she was able to get on Megan Anderson's back. And, you know, she was up pretty high, but 
um, you know, she was able to, to ride back down, settle in and get that rear naked choke victory. And I guess, again, exposing Megan Anderson's uh, lack of ground game. I, I think Megan Anderson saw a lot of success early in her career because, you know, she has such a length advantage. Nobody would be able to close the distance, but you know, Felicia Spencer did what she had to do, took a couple of shots, got her up against the cage. And then, you know, the rest was history. I, I think she did a great job. I think she's, you know, a beast of a 145er. Um, I, I don't know how she does against Cyborg or Amanda Nunez, and I don't I don't know who else to give her at this point because there's nobody else in the division. Um, but I, I think she looked great. Uh, you know, we know Megan Anderson's ground game isn't, isn't spectacular, but, um, you know, she was able to close the distance on a giant and uh, get the job done. Give me your thoughts, Jeff. Yeah, dude, I think that Megan Anderson – would benefit from like three jujitsu classes, dude. Mm-hmm. Um, her grappling is just non-existent. Um, you know, not to take anything away from Felicia Spencer, she went in there with the right game plan. Um, you know, was in Megan Anderson's face, wasn't afraid to of of uh, Anderson's uh, achievements and all that. Mm-hmm. So, good win for Felicia Spencer. I I just feel like she's a, a little bit untested. Just because you know we we've seen Anderson's level of grappling here, and Bill, um, to address your featherweight um, comment, I mean I I don't even know how much longer this division is going to last, dude. Holly Holm is uh, challenging Amanda Nunez um, in July, but that's for the bantamweight championship, which mm-hmm. I think is is smart on Holly Holm's part because you know Amanda Nunez carries so much more power with ten more pounds on her, but. Mm-hmm. I mean, if, I mean, if, is this division just for show? Are we going to do something with it? I mean, initially there were so many problems. I mean, this division was made for Cyborg and then she got annihilated by Amanda Nunez. So, you know, where, where do we go from here basically? Yeah. And then we had that ultimate fighter season with, uh, you know, the 145 pound females, but it turned out a lot of them weren't true 145 pounders. You know, we a lot of the 145 pound fights we've had in the UFC have been with fighters who are really bantamweights. You know, uh, Tanya Evinger comes to mind, Amanda Nunez, uh, Holly Holm, uh, and then Megan Anderson. She could really be a lightweight. Uh, from what I understand, she walks around, uh, you know, north of 170 pounds. Um, so if the timeline worked out a little differently for her, you know, these losses would have served her better a couple of months ago and then she could have gotten into the pfl's uh lightweight tournament mm. um and she could be better there and i think cyborg would probably be better suited for that uh weight class too but you know it, it it's a tricky thing with the women because you know there's just not a lot of them out there um you, you know they're, they're just uh they're they're not wanting to fight um so, you know, if you're a woman and you're listening to this and you feel like you could easily make 145 pounds, um, you could probably be a champion, you know, go take some jujitsu classes and, uh, and get in there and, uh, <laughs> you know, let's see how it goes. Uh, in any case, somebody who got in there on short notice, Derek Krantz got in there with Vicente Luque, uh, who's killer, you know, ranked number 15 in the world right now. Uh, Neil Magny had to pull out the week of the fight um, because of a USADA test. He's claiming it was a tainted supplement uh, because I guess he never heard of whatever it was that he popped for. And, and, you know, he's turning over all his 
supplements to USADA so they could test them and and uh, everything like that. You want to give him the benefit of the doubt here. And he did come out right away and, and say that it was USADA um, flagging why he had to pull out. And he did not have to do that. Um, so you want to give Neil Magny the benefit of the doubt, I guess. But Derek Krantz, so he was a guy who was on Dana White looking for a fight. And then instead of giving him a contract, Dana White said he would put him on the contender series. I guess they kept him on the back burner. Neil Magny pulls out the week of the fight. And Derek Krantz steps up and he says, I'll do it. And he comes out like a bat out of hell attacking Vicente Luque. He rocked him right off the bat. And, uh, you know, once Luque kind of got his bearings back, he had a beautiful finishing sequence of Derek Krantz where he rocked him with a big shot to the head. And then he gave him a knee right in the sternum, which if you've never been kneed in the sternum, it is surprisingly painful. It'll knock the wind out of you. Um, it, it'll feel like you got stabbed with something really large. Um, and then once he had him on the ground, he had him in like a front headlock and he was just punching his head um, into, he was pun <laughs> punching his head, which was blocked by his bicep. Uh, so those were some heavy shots. And uh, Derek Kratz arguing the stoppage from Dan Mergliata, but, you know, obviously uh, it wasn't going to go well for him if Luke a was able to uh, continue pounding on him, but credit for Derek Krantz for stepping in there on such short notice against a killer like Luke and credit to Luke for taking the fight against, you know, this is very high risk, low reward for him, you know, being such a, a competitor and actually stepping up and taking on this newcomer uh, where if he loses to him, um, you know, he loses everything that he's worked so hard for. Um, so give me your thoughts on this, Jeff. Yeah, dude. And speaking of losing all he's worked hard for, that's what I thought was going to happen off that first <laughs> punch, dude. Derek Krantz, you know, he said, forget all these uh, jitters. I'm just going to go in there and punch him in the face. And, you know, it, it, Luke was in trouble in that first round, dude, um, especially in the, the first like three or four minutes. But, um, you know, he went back to his corner, kind of said, all right, refocused and, you know, it was a beautiful knee that um, hit Krantz in the sternum. And then while he's keeled over, Luke just lands this stiff left hand, man. And, um, yeah, I think you're right, dude. I think that uh, the ref had the right idea with the stoppage. It was a really good stoppage. And if Luke had kept hitting him, I think Krantz was going to sleep. It looked to me like he went out for a sec and then kind of got up a little bit. Mm -hmm. So really good performance from Luke. And good from Krantz, too. I'd like to see him in there again. Uh, against someone obviously who's not uh, got a number next to his name, but I think Derek Krantz, he's a fighter. He's got a, um, you know, he's got power in his punches. I'd like to see him get in there again. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, I, I think after this, he'll probably get a shot. Um, you know, I don't think they're going to make him go through the contender series after calling him up on short notice. So, um, you know, the loss may be a blessing in disguise. He, he did a great job stepping up. Um, against a total killer in Vicente Luque. And, uh, yeah, we had a good referee staff last night. Dan Mergliata and uh, Keith Peterson, two of my favorite referees, personally. Um, I, I think, uh, to me, Keith Peterson is the best in the business. Um, and, and Dan Mergliata is up there for me as well. And Herb Dean depends on the night. Um, but, you know, those are the three. Those are the three standards that, that everybody else should be measured by. Um, Speaking of refereeing, we had a third match between Charles Oliveira 
and Nick Lentz. Why they were fighting for a third time, I have no idea. Because Charles Oliveira beat the snot out of him twice before. Um, and what happened in their first fight was Oliveira hit Nick Lentz with an illegal knee. Uh, the referee did not see it. This was back in 2011, I believe. And then he went on to uh, choke him out with a rear naked choke, tapped him out. But that illegal knee did so much damage that the Athletic Commission in Pennsylvania, I think this fight was in Pittsburgh, uh, Athletic Commission went back and ruled it a no contest uh, because of the illegal strike. So they they had a rematch a few years down the line. Oliveira submitted him, and now they had to fight a third time. Why, I don't know. Um, it, it was it was a competitive fight. It was an interesting fight. Charles Oliveira striking, uh, looking better every time he gets in there. Um, he didn't get to a continuous submission streak of like 20 submissions or whatever ridiculous amount of submissions he has. But, um, you know, he got that big knockout. Uh, and, and the way he did it was by catching a, a kick from Nick Lentz and then pulling him in by his leg into a punch. And he tried this a couple of times throughout the fight. And the last time you just get so much more velocity on the punch when you're pulling your opponent towards it. Um, you know, whether it be with a, a collar tie or, um, or an overhook when, when you're able to pull them into the strike, um, it, you know, it's just so much more impactful and it, it put Nick Lentz out, uh, Nick Lentz is a tough dude, but not a lot of people are going to take too many of those punches. Uh, give me your thoughts here, Jeff. Bill, I thought Charles Oliveira looked good everywhere, man. I talked about this last week. I said his striking is getting better all the time. We've seen it. And, dude, that uh, right hand that knocked out Lynch was really, really stiff, man. Um, it was one of those shots where you just go, ooh, when you see it. Mm -hmm. And, um, dude, I thought that he'd been looking good on the ground, too. Uh, Lynch kind of took him down a few times, but Charles Oliveira um, – you know, I didn't see too many problems from him. It looked like he was happy to be on his back looking for submissions and stuff. And mm -hmm. um, you got to give it to uh, the ref in this fight, too, who I believe was um, – actually, I don't even remember who it was. Todd but, Anderson. Yes, Todd Anderson. So um, there was an illegal upkick from Charles Oliveira in the first round, I want to say. And, um, you know, uh, the ref broke it up. Um, told Oliveira to go to a, a neutral corner. He's looking at Lentz, making sure he's okay. And then, Bill, you're not going to see this too often from a lot of referees, but he let Lentz pick the position, which I thought was a really good call. Um, because you got to take into account his brain got a little bit rattled here. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Lentz was a good guy about it. He could have... Um, said we'll we'll go standing but instead he got the, the position back and charles Oliveira was able to get up from there but um like i said good refereeing uh i thought Oliveira is looked really good everywhere in this fight and um i'm, I'm glad he's becoming more well-rounded i think he's really a threat in this lightweight division uh, i thought he was way too big for featherweight but at lightweight he looks really good i'd like to see him make a title run at some point in the future yeah, for sure. And I like that he is actually calling out lightweights now. He wants a top 10 guy at lightweight. Um, it used to be every time he, he won a fight, he would ask Dana White to go back to featherweight. I'm glad he's kind of gotten over that phase. <laughs> um, yeah, it'll be interesting, man, because, it, you know, we got a lot of brawlers 
in this lightweight division. And, um, you know, at the top of it, you got a guy in Khabib who is known for just taking everybody down and mauling them. But like, would he want to take Charles Oliveira down? Um, so that that's an interesting one. I know we're probably uh, a few years away from ever seeing that come to light, but um, an interesting matchup. Um, I think Charles Oliveira matches up well with a lot of the guys at the top of this division. Uh, so that would be cool. I'm going to kind of skip over Davey Ramos and Austin Hubbard. Um, you know, it was pretty dominant fight by uh, Ramos here uh, against, I believe, the newcomer in Austin Hubbard. And I want to get to Aspen Ladd and Sajara Eubanks. Um, what impressed me about this fight was Aspen Ladd's ability to seemingly empty her gas tank at the end of a round, just beating the crap out of Sajara Eubanks and then get up and walk away and not even take a deep breath. Like she just walked away. Like she was walking through the park after, you know, we've all done the drills where you get on the heavy bag and you, you have to empty the tank. Like there's 20 seconds left in the round and it feels like the longest 20 seconds of your life. And that's just not a heavy bag. That's not even moving. And then you get up and walk away and you're, you're like, sucking all the air in the gym um but aspen lad i guess all that training you know up in colorado or wherever i think she's in colorado california up in the hills wherever she lives i think she lives like up in the mountains i guess maybe that does or maybe she's just a cardio machine but i was super impressed with aspen lad and um i was also impressed with the toughness of shajara eubanks because she took a fucking beating in this fight and um you know, still kept coming back for more. She looked good on the feet. Her boxing looked good. She was out boxing Aspen Lad, who was just a little bit too slow with her head movement. Um, but you know, didn't look terrible on the feet. Um, and uh, yeah, I thought it was a really impressive performance by Aspen Lad here. Did you catch this one, Jeff? Yeah, I was really excited for this one. Um, I I have been hesitant to jump on the Aspen Lad hype train. But um, she she definitely made a mark yesterday. Um, I believe this is the second time that Aspen Ladd and Sajar Eubanks are fighting each other. I don't know how the first fight went. I don't know if you know, Bill. Uh, it was it was much the same. It was just a unanimous decision by Aspen Ladd. But I think it was much closer. Mm. So um, you know, good performance from Aspen Ladd. Um, you know, and Sajar Eubanks is, you know, we knew she was a tough fighter. But my only problem with this fight, Bill, was one of the judges had this as 30-26 on uh -huh. scorecards. I don't know what fight they were watching. I felt like this fight was a lot closer. I thought Sajar Eubanks definitely won the first round. Um, The second round, I felt like she was winning maybe the first minute and the last minute. No, I'm sorry. Uh, For round two, she started off really well. And mm -hmm. then... Aspen Ladd just, you know, um, just um, went crazy on her. Um, yeah. From the stand up, um, she was, uh, her strikes were coming out a little bit better on the feet. And then once she took her to the ground, uh, was looking for some missions. And then when that didn't work, she started beating the shit out of her. Um, I've, I felt like Sajar Eubanks did a good job at the end of round three as well. Um, so I, I don't think it was. Um, you know, as dominant as one sided as 30 26. I thought this was actually a closer fight than that. But overall, man, good for Aspen Lad. Um, you know, proven again that she's a tough fighter. She's well rounded. Um, she looked really, really good in the grappling exchanges. 
Um, the stand-up was a little bit more uh, balanced. You know, Charlie Banks is a very, very tough uh, striker. But mm -hmm. in the grappling department, Aspen Ladd was dominating. So um, I like how well-rounded she is, Bill. I think she can really make a splash in this women's bandweight division with a little bit more experience. Yeah, for sure. And hopefully they're able to pump the brakes with her just a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she looked great. I think Sajara Eubanks should definitely stay at bantamweight uh, as well. Um, since I don't think she's ever even made flyweight, so uh, <laughs> uh, this is a this is a good good spot for her. Um, uh, I would like to see her uh, continue on in this division, uh, despite this loss. She still looked good, and these two um, had a fucking firefight at the end of this. You know, it was reminiscent of like Ricardo Lamas and Max Holloway, where they just stood toe to toe in the middle of the octagon and and were slinging at each other. Um, it was awesome. So if you guys miss this one, uh, go back and watch this fight. And I, yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, Jeff. It, it was a, a lot closer than a 30-26. I could see giving Aspen Ladd a 10-8 maybe in that second round, but, you know, it, it would be a stretch. Um, you, you know, she was beating on her pretty good at the end of that round. Um, but, yeah, Sajar Eubanks, you could argue that she won that first round for sure. Um, Desmond Green, local guy from rochester um a lot of gold teeth got the job done against the undefeated uh charles jordan that was a, a very competitive fight and then uh michelle perea uh get, getting the win in his ufc debut over danny roberts this guy i don't know if you saw this fight jeff this guy was doing fucking backflips off the cage and uh, and like front flip kicks and uh he wound up finishing danny roberts with a flying knee uh very entertaining wild fight and i guess that's his thing um uh I, I don't know about the uh the sustainability of his fighting style uh, you know once he gets in there with with guys who are a little bit more patient um you know that stuff tends to tends to fizzle out but you know 25 years old he looks 40 um <laughs> <laughs> yeah but <laughs> he just like I don't know what it is. He's got a, like an old face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but uh, six foot two, um, at a welterweight, and he moves phenomenally. Um, you know he has he has some losses on his record. He's been fighting a long ass time. It took him a while to get into UFC. I don't know a whole lot about him, but uh you know i'm interested to see him get in there uh maybe let's do him and uh derek krantz next Ooh, um, I like that. that that would be a fun fight i think because they're both like balls to the wall style and um you, you know you might see something fun in there um did, did you catch his fight jeff yeah i did and i am really glad that i did because michelle Pereira, you know he was going in there all crazy really flashy stuff he went for like a rolling heel kick which was pretty awesome i mean <laughs> danny roberts was about five feet away from him so it was never gonna land but it looked cool mm -hmm. and um dude i loved the knockout it was he starts it off with a flying knee and a really stiff straight uh straight cross that just dropped danny roberts um, really fun fight to watch. Bill, I love it. I love Pereira versus Krantz. Uh, Make it happen, UFC, on a prelim card. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, let's let's definitely do that. So anyone listening from the UFC, let's uh, let's make that match happen. Um, Grant Dawson uh, taking out the uh, Ultimate Fighter winner, Mike Trezano. 
uh, with a rear naked choke uh, in the second round. Ed Herman getting the TKO victory over Patrick Cummins uh, on the early prelims. And uh, in his post-fight speech, he just wants to be put in the video game. I mean, the guy's been in the UFC for fucking 13 years, I think. Let's let's oh my god. Let's let's get him in the game, guys. Uh, hey, EA Sports, put Ed Herman in a video game. <laughs> He's been fighting fucking forever. <laughs> I I I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think it has been 13 years in the UFC for Ed Herman. Uh, he's been around forever. I mean, he was part of the original Team Quest back in the day. For those of you who have been longtime MMA fans, you remember Team Quest. Of course, Randy Couture, Dan Henderson, Chael Sonnen. They had fucking killers in there. Um, Matt Linlin. Um, that was a that was a fucking death squad back in the day. Um, there weren't too many. That was back when there weren't too many big camps. You know, it was like Team Quest. There was like Shoot the Box in Brazil, and there was like I don't know one other one. <laughs> <laughs> and then at that time, everybody else just kind of fought like from wherever. Oh, there was like uh, Pat Militage's gym mm. uh, in Iowa, and that was it. So uh, you know, good for Ed Herman. He's been fighting fucking forever since the prehistoric era and then uh zach cummings getting a guillotine win over trevin giles and then uh julio arce with a nasty head kick uh knockout over julian arosa who i think was making his comeback um he was on season 22 of the ultimate fighter and then came back to the ufc and um just put out put down stiff with a head kick by julio arce so if you guys missed that one uh that that's a highlight you need to check out for sure um, nasty, nasty head kick knockout. Uh, you got anything else on Rochester here, Jeff? Just one last thing, man. I have a gripe with this. How okay. much lower on the on the card does Patrick Cummins have to be before the UFC cuts him? <laughs> I mean, well, he was the third fight, so then they gotta make him the second fight and then they gotta make him the first yeah i mean here's a guy stupid mustache but like yeah, he looks like a 1940s movie villain what is this <laughs> or like the strong man from the first circus ever <laughs> <laughs> i don't know i don't understand these like hipstery mustaches where they they put the wax in it and everything i it's just that it's one of those things i i don't understand uh, I don't think I'll ever be able to wrap my head around it. Like, why would you want to put that shit on your face? Um, but yeah, phenomenal wrestling background. Uh, Patrick Cummins. So, um, but yeah, keeps getting knocked out. So, um, I, I say like cut him or make him shave the mustache. That's what I say. Like, well, look, I, we'll, I do both, Bill. Take one of each. <laughs> Listen, you got to shave your mustache, and also you're out of a job. <laughs> um, in any case, uh, next big car, we got a week off, actually, which is kind of nice. Uh, June 1st will be the next uh, fight. I will actually be in Georgia um, for this one, and that is Fight Night 153 from Stockholm, Sweden, headlined by... Your boy, Alexander Gustafson and Anthony Smith, which is a really fun fight. And then this card kind of falls apart uh, as you go down the line. Vulcan Ozdemir and Alir Latifi, that's a fun one in the co-main event. And then not a whole lot going on the rest of this card, but we can uh, 
we can fully break this down next week and uh you know maybe i'll change my mind about it a after a week with no mma i'm sure i'll be um looking forward to this one a lot more but uh give me your thoughts just on this uh main and co-main event here jeff yeah dude uh the main event looks amazing um two guys who are really really good strikers so you're not gonna see too much grappling in this one but both are very capable mm -hmm. i think they just prefer to stand up so i'm really excited for that one um give me that co-main event again you said it Alir latifi and who else uh vulcan Demir. oh yeah that one's gonna be fun too but i think that um if Ozdemir doesn't use his height appropriately, he's gonna he's gonna have a hard time with Alir Latifi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we've seen Ozdemir. Um, you know, when he backs up, he's still got power, crazy power. But uh, if Latifi can close the distance and use that wrestling, it'd be a long night for Ozdemir. Um, you know, we've seen that he struggles with wrestlers. He got out grappled by Anthony Smith, who's not known for his grappling. Um, yeah, a lot to talk about here. Um, maybe I'll change my mind about the rest of this card uh, by the time it rolls around, but we could take take the time to break this down uh, on next week's episode uh, since we'll probably be uh, looking for content. One other thing I wanted to bring up, um, actually a couple of other things. Um, I mentioned that I'm going to be in Georgia when this fight is taking place because I'm taking a little road trip up to Asheville, North Carolina, a uh, little vacation with the family. My my sister and her fiance are going to drive down from New York. We're kind of meeting in the middle. Got a cabin in the woods. Super stoked about it. I've been to Asheville before. It's an awesome town. But I do need some brewery recommendations. Uh, you guys have been sending them to me on Twitter. I greatly appreciate it. Keep sending me more. I'm going to be there for a week. So I got a lot of things to check out. And food, too. You guys know where to get some good food in Asheville or anywhere between Florida and Asheville. Uh, let me know. Um, another thing I wanted to mention, Rashad Evans, they announced last night will be inducted to the UFC hall of fame. Definitely deserving, uh, legend of the sport. He's beaten some legends. Um, I hope this means that he's officially retired as well. You know, he's a guy who's like, uh, maybe five ten, probably a little shorter than that. Won the ultimate fighter at heavyweight. Um, you, you know, throwing guys around like they were nothing. Um, you know, very similar to Daniel Cormier, very short for heavyweight, dropped to light heavyweight and, um, you know, found out he had some knockout power. Uh, he's been in some classic wars over the years. He had some, some really great rivalries, you know, with John Jones and it was, it was the whole like teacher versus student thing and that whole drama. He had to, you know, the, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for with rampage Jackson war, um, Anyway, he had it out with Rampage Jackson. That was a good rivalry as well. Um, yeah, definitely deserving. So congratulations to Rashad on the uh, placement in the Hall of Fame. That's definitely where he deserves to be. I'm sure he has a bright career as an analyst as well. Um, any thoughts on that, Jeff? Yeah, dude, I was always a big fan of Rashad Evans, man. He could just mix it up with anybody. Good wrestler, knockout power, very deserving. Former light mm -hmm. heavyweight champion, so very in in that time period where the title bounced around a lot before uh, John Jones um, got his stranglehold of the division, mm -hmm. but um, a very very exciting fighter to watch. So I'm I'm stoked. I'm really excited that he's getting into the Hall of Fame. And like you said, I, I really hope he retires. Um, 
you know, I, I don't want him to become one of these guys who holds on for longer than they should. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, his highlight reel is so impressive. I oh, mean, yeah. you know, his his head kick knockout of Sean Salmon is like one of the, you know, if you have to show somebody a vicious head kick knockout, that's one of the go-tos. Um, you know, his his knockout of Chuck Liddell. Mm. Um, I, w- one thing I thought was weird was that they showed, you know, bef- he, he was always like a little quirky. And before the Chuck Liddell fight, he was like rubbing his nipples what yeah so like when when they're announcing him he just like starts twisting his nipples and they put that in his highlight reel for his hall of fame reel like (laughs) but they didn't show the actual knockout of chuck liddell they just showed like they just showed rashad like like twisting his nipples and then um you know him after he knocked out liddell which i thought was weird um but okay so whoever's mixing that up um uh has some fetishes or something that uh <laughs> that they need to work out um in any case um i think that was it oh jeff you wanted to talk about this last week i i, I went to see brendan schaub do stand-up in tampa last week and um you know he was okay um he hasn't been doing stand-up that long so he's um he's not very seasoned you know at like working a room and stuff and and his material is you know, a lot of a lot of like dick jokes and masturbating and, and stuff that's like you know generally pretty funny. But I, I I think he tries to stick too hard into that niche. Um, so maybe he'll he'll grow and, and develop out of it. I am um, I'm definitely not hating on the guy. I mean, he's got a, he's had a ton of success since uh, since leaving the UFC. He's definitely been more successful as a podcast personality and a, and a comedian than he was uh, as a fighter i think and i mean that as a compliment um you know it, it's always good to see these guys come out of of competitive cage fighting and and go on to uh bigger and better things and find success and find ways to make money because i think a lot of them they, they feel like they don't know how to do anything else so it, it is good to see a guy like that um you know succeed um you know, would I put him up there with my favorite stand-up comics of all time? Absolutely not. Um, but, uh, you know, he's doing his thing. He's got an audience. Um, he's got, you know, some loyal fans that will come out to see him. Um, he, his stand-up special came out last week. I, from what I understand, it didn't do too well. But, um, you know, I think he'll be okay, even if he doesn't do the stand-up. I mean, he's got 17 podcasts, and they're all killing it and he's making money off of all of them he's gonna be fine um so yeah it was it was a good time though you know um i don't know i think that's it jeff you got anything else you want to get off your chest um yeah i did want to address this real quick before we go about excuse me um so frankie edgar is the next person uh he's got a title shot he's gonna fight max holloway um i want to say june ish Mm-hmm. Uh, don't quote me on that, but a lot of people upset because Alexander Volkanovsky is not getting a title shot. But here's the thing: you gotta understand this, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Volkanovsky just had a fight. What was it? Uh, like two weeks ago, last week or something? Yeah. Um. So one, he's got to recover from that, you know. Um, and even if he could fight, I don't know if um an athletic commission would allow him to. 
Uh, usually you get suspended for about six months or something. So you can, uh, so you can, uh, recover, um, unless it's like a quick knockout or something and, and you didn't really get hurt. Um, in addition to that, Volkanovsky's got like a blood infection mm -hmm. or something. So after he beat Jose Aldo, he, I think he might still be at a hospital in Brazil, uh, getting that fixed. So to ask him to take a title shot with a very dominant champion in Max Holloway, um, at least at featherweight, um, you know, on two months notice to ask him to start training and jumping right back into camp after being hospitalized for mm -hmm. a while, um, just not the right decision. So I think Frank Edgar is very deserving. So, you know, if, if you're pissed, that's why Volkanovski is not, um, not getting an immediate title shot, but I mean, he's definitely probably got winner after that. Yeah. Yeah. Probably, or maybe they'll make him take one more fight. Um, yeah, if you don't understand why Frankie Edgar is getting this title shot, then you, you haven't been paying attention to how this works. You know, um, you know, Frankie Edgar is a legend. He's a former champion. He's allowed to cut the line sometimes. Um, he hasn't fought in a while. Um, UFC probably owes him a couple of things. You know, he stepped yeah. up and fought Brian Ortega when he was supposed to get a title shot. He did not have to do that. He wound up getting knocked out. Um, so that was unfortunate for him. I'm sure he would like to have that one back too. Um, and with Volkanovski, like, yeah, he beat Jose Aldo, who's a former champion, but like 17 people watched that fight, uh, <laughs> you know, and, and, and it, at least that's the number of people who paid for it. Uh, you know, I haven't seen the numbers on that pay-per-view yet, but they were not good. I can guarantee you that because uh, Holloway and Poirier did under a hundred thousand buys. I think there were around 70,000 buys. Uh, so the pay-per-view headlined by Rose Namajunas and Jessica Andrade um, with Volkanovski and um, Aldo on there, I would imagine somewhere in the ballpark of 50,000 pay-per-view buys. And that's largely due to ESPN Plus, which is fucking garbage. Uh, it kept cutting out on me last night. Um, the first video I I was able to find uh, was the Spanish broadcast. And, um, you know, my Spanish is not too shabby, but um, I, I would prefer to not hear the Spanish broadcast if I could. Um, although they are very enthusiastic. Um, I think uh, Marlon Vera does it sometimes. Um, I, I'm not too sure on that, though. But and, and then I was able to get the English broadcast, and it kept cutting out. Um, Luckily, it wasn't cutting out during the fights, but like during the post-fight interviews, which I which I always like to hear. You know, I like to hear if there's good call-outs or or anything like that. Um, so, ESPN Plus still shit, um, and that's all I have to say about that. Uh, anything else, Jeff? Yeah, I think ESPN is going to lose a lot of money in this deal, dude. But I mean, it's too late to back out now, so. Yeah, because they have to pay the UFC for a hundred thousand pay-per-view buys, uh, regardless of how well the pay-per-view does. So they may be regretting that decision since they can't get the app to work for people to purchase the pay-per-views. <laughs> um, but um, you know, that's their problem. We'll we'll figure out a way to watch one way or another. All right. Um, if you guys want to get a hold of Jeff, you can do so on Twitter and on Instagram at animal underscore Wilson. Now that the animal has made his 
emergence onto the Instagram scene. And you guys know how to get a hold of me. It's at MMA on the Rocks on all your favorite social media platforms. Please reach out. Send me recommendations. Let me know where to go in Asheville. I need breweries and, and food recommendations. And uh, I trust you guys more than I trust Yelp. So please reach out and send those my way. You can also visit our website, MMAontherocks.com. Please leave us a review wherever you happen to be listening. Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher. Uh, it definitely does help us out quite a deal and it helps other people find the show as well so please get on there and do that that's all we got until next time cheers everybody goodbye